Lord, we are truly nothing without you, God. And so, Lord, we we come to your word, and we want to be hearers of your word, God. We want to hear your word and believe so that we can trust you in all of life's circumstances, wherever you would take us. Lord, help us to have hearts that are open and receptive to your word, quick to take in what you have and let it grow deep in our hearts. And so, Lord, this morning I pray that you would speak through me, that you would give us all wisdom as we look at your word by your spirit, and that we would walk out of here changed people that want to follow you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jared Jenkins. I'm the missions and discipleship pastor here at Risen Life. And when Kevin and Robert are both out of town, I, I get the opportunity to preach. So I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. So if you would, we are, uh, we're continuing our, our uh, study of Mark. If you want to turn to Mark 3, chapter 3, and we're going to look at quite a big section of Scripture here. But um, <clears throat> Mark 3, 20 uh, through 4, 25. Last week we talked about Sabbath, the Sabbath and what it means uh, for us as the people of God heading towards an ultimate rest in God that we get to experience even now. And we also talked about Jesus calling his disciples and how he's reconstituting uh, the people of God. And this week we're going we're gonna to look at several teachings here. And I want to be honest, these are, these, are, <laughs> these are some of the toughest teachings in Scripture by Jesus so we're going we're gonna to buckle our seatbelts, but the application to these teachings is pretty simple, okay? There's pretty much two things that just shine through throughout these uh, stories that we're going to look at, it, and that is, number one, you're either inside or outside the kingdom of God. That's what these stories are going to point us to. There's, there's, there's nothing else. You're either with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. You're for him or you're against him. And secondly... All these stories point us to hear the word of God, take it in, and believe it. Okay, that's what that's what Mark wants to communicate to us. And so we're going to see these two ideas kind of at play uh, through all the, the parables we're looking at. Now, Mark does something interesting uh, in, the go- in his gospel, and we're going to see two instances of this today. And it's Mark makes a sandwich. That's what you can call it. It's a Markin sandwich. So he takes one Bible story and he kind of splits it in half and he throws one right in the middle of it. And so then you get related themes on the outside and then a particular story on the inside uh, that he's, he's emphasizing. So we're going we're gonna to eat two sandwiches today and then we're going to have a little dessert. So hang in there with me. Let's, let's, um, let's dive into our, our first sandwich here. It comes in Mark 3.20 uh, through 24. Now, on either side of the main story here, the main story is this parable about, or this saying by Jesus about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay, We're going to look at right at the middle first, like any good three-year-old who pulls its meat right out of his sandwich before he eats the bread. We're going to look at that story first because it's going to tell us about what Jesus is saying about his family on either side. So let's take a look at that. Mark 3, starting in 22 through 30, that's our sinner story. And I'll read that for you. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. 
And he called to them and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, Jesus is referring to here in verse 22, the same scribes that back in Mark 2 through 2, 6 through 7 had seen Jesus heal the paralytic of his sins and then they, they were against Jesus and they said, no one can do that but God. Only God can forgive sins. And they were right. As we know, only God can forgive sins. And they, they are forgetting that both the Father is God and Jesus is God as well as the Holy Spirit is God. And so to call the Spirit names is to blaspheme God himself. Okay, And so here we see the scribes, they're attesting the very, the, the very works of Christ to the power of the devil. They're saying, Beelzebul, that's Satan. Satan gave you the power to do this, not God. Jesus quickly dismisses this as absurd. He says, that makes no sense. Why would, why would Satan rise up against his own house? That would be a divided house. That makes no sense. And he goes on to say that, that not only that, but Jesus has actually gone into Satan's house, bound him as the strong man, and now is plundering it. Jesus is asserting himself as being more powerful than Satan in his demons. And in this accusation by the scribes, where they're, they're pushing against Jesus' work, they're actually acknowledging that he is doing them. I want you to see that. They never say he didn't heal people, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. They're saying, no, you're doing that by the power of Satan. But they're acknowledging that he has done great works. And so Jesus dismisses their charges as insanity for the house being divided against itself. Easy enough so far, right? All right, let's look at the hard part. But then we get down to these kind of cryptic verses here, the saying by Jesus in Mark 28 through 30, that have scared the living daylights out of sensitive souls since A.D. 30. Okay? These are tough verses. And to understand these verses, we need to carefully examine what Jesus has said here. So let's look at back at 328. Jesus tells us that truly all sins will be forgiven man, even blasphemy. I want you to see a couple things here. That word truly, that's the word amen in Greek. Okay, so Jesus is saying, this is true. I want you to see it as true. And, and you need to hear what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pointing out to us that there are, there are no sins that cannot be forgiven. Hear me. There are no sins. Jesus says all sins, hear that, all sins can be forgiven, even blasphemy. That means that there was no one in this room 
that has done anything that is outside the power of Christ to save them and to forgive them. When, what is the sin in your life that you're still feeling the guilt of? What's the one that you just think, man, God, God surely couldn't help me out with this one. I feel so bad about this one. Jesus is saying, bring that to me and I will forgive you. I can forgive all sins. But then, but then look at Mark 3.29. This, this verse complicates matters. It tells us that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an internal sin and never forgiven. This seems contradictory to what Jesus just said. But then look at, look at the next verse, Mark 3.30. This is a little comment by Mark here that I think really helps us out. He, he gives us this quick explanation saying that Jesus said this because the scribes were saying he has an unclean spirit. We've seen that. They said, you're doing this by the power of Satan, right? No one can forgive sins but God, and that's not you. And here they're saying he has an unclean spirit. And so what these verses seem to be getting at is that there is, there is a point at which our hearts as humans can become so completely hard against the Holy Spirit's witness to Christ and the gospel that we will never come to Jesus. Think about that. We will adamantly reject the Holy Spirit's speaking into our lives and thereby reject Jesus and the gospel going so far as to call it wicked. I think we've even seen this in the last couple of days, I've been following the news about everything in France and people are posting the pray for France and yet other people are posting, we don't need religion in this world, that's the problem. And that's the hardening of, the, of, of those people's spirits against what God has done. It's a sobering point that, that us and our, the pride of our little minds, the, the pride of the world, we... We think we control that we would know better than God of the universe and reject his son because of the way he comes to us. Maybe we don't like it or we don't like what he's doing, and so we reject him. And so we we listen to the world and we reject the spirit speaking into our hearts and thereby we reject Christ. John 8, 24 talks about a similar a similar clarifying statement. This is Jesus speaking to the Jews, and he said, I told you that you would die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. You will die in your sins. If you don't believe, then your heart will be hardened. So the message is then clear. If if we're denying the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life about Jesus and what God is doing in the world, and even going so far as to say, that's evil work that Jesus did. There's a potential to die in our sins and be guilty of an eternal sin that will never be forgiven. Now, what are, what are we to do in light of that possibility? That's a heavy possibility. I think it goes back to the theme of Mark in, in verse 115. It's repent and believe the gospel, for it's at hand. Repent of your sins, listen to the Spirit's witness in your heart, and believe that Jesus is who He says He is, God, and live your life in accordance with that truth. That's the answer. I want you to see that 
you don't just start out by blaspheming the Holy Spirit, okay? This is, this is a little process that, that goes throughout your life where God is speaking into your heart. He's asking you to do things. He's asking you to listen to your word, and you continually, you continually give him a hand, right? He's going to say, no, not listening, not listening, not doing that, not doing that, till ultimately you find yourself at a place where you're so hardened you won't come to Jesus. If God is speaking to you saying, you need to come to me, you need to be saved, please listen and accept what he is saying to you. I want to say one other thing about this. Some of you may have been worried that you have committed this sin. That's that's popular. People have have often worried about that. And I'd like to say, if if you're worried about it, then you haven't committed this sin. Because if you're worried about it, then that shows you have a sensitive heart and you want to be right with God. And so you can go to him and confess anything that you think you've said against the Lord. And God will accept it. Listen, as one guy says, there's no record in Scripture of anyone asking forgiveness of God and being denied it. That's just not in there. If you want to be forgiven, you can come to God and be forgiven. In fact, that's just what Jesus said in verse 328. All sins can be forgiven, even blasphemy. However, there's a point at which we reject God that will lead to our ultimate and eternal destruction. So we've we've kind of eaten the middle of our first sandwich here. Let's let's look at the bread. Let's go out to the outsides here. So look at verses um, three twenty and twenty one, and then we're going to skip down and look at thirty one through thirty four. Here's what it says. It says. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He's out of his mind. And then down to verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called. And a crowd was sitting around, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now I want you to notice a few things about this. Notice that Jesus' family thinks he's out of his mind. Okay? Notice that this attitude, this is not unlike the scribes' attitude towards Jesus. They're denying the works of Jesus, and, and even, even his family to some degree is denying the works of Jesus, but I think in a lesser way. They're saying, Jesus, you're crazy. You've got to stop this stuff. And then notice also that the family, the, Jesus' blood relatives, they're, they're outside the house, okay? And then on the inside are those that are following Jesus. Jesus is drawing the distinction between those that are inside the house and those that are outside the house, okay? In picture form, we see that there are those that follow Jesus and those that don't. Then, then, look, then thirdly, notice that, that Jesus, he's flipping our idea of family on its head. And I think this is the one that, that's really the hardest for us. This is what makes this so hard. It's really, it's really a shocking teaching by Christ, especially given our context here in this valley. That we live in a culture that greatly values family, 
But Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is more important than your family. That's hard. In fact, we know in Matthew 22.30 that Jesus teaches that in the new heavens and new earth, marriage, the very foundation of families, is done away with. In fact, he, he speaks of all of us being married to Christ, union with Christ. Prioritizing the kingdom now over your family actually gives you a taste of eternity. We have an overlapping of the ages where this age is coming to an end. And since Jesus has come, this new one is beginning. Jesus is teaching us that our, our commitment to Christ must trump all other relationships, even family. And that's hard. Now, what, what does this look like practically? Because I don't want you to hear me wrong here. It, it doesn't mean you don't take care of your family, Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you don't prioritize time with your family, okay? What it, what it does mean is that you view your family as your primary ministry. That suddenly, suddenly you, you take care of your kids and you take care of your wife and, and you do that all in the name of Jesus. You're serving the king. And then you seek to bring these people along with you as they serve the king. And sometimes it means you'll have to choose following God over your family. If, you, if you've come out of Mormonism to a saving faith in Christ, you know that to be true. There are hard decisions to make when following Jesus. Some of you have come out of not of Mormonism, but out of just families that were destructive uh, that that were not following the Lord, that had destructive tendencies, and you realize to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to go a different direction. And that's hard. And then for most of you, I think it's, and for me myself, when I, when I came here to be a, a college student in 1996, I've, I've lived apart from my family since then. What I found in, in the people of God is that God promises that they are your mother, your brother, and your sisters. They become your family. And many of you have experienced the way in which when you're removed from your physical family and you're placed in, a good, in the people of God, you find people that are dear to you, more dear to you than even your blood relatives. That's the promise of God. In fact, that's where we're going. The saying of Jesus also reminds us that, that sometimes those who assume that they are close to Jesus are actually quite far. And those that think they are far actually have a lot of hope in being near to him. Jesus ends this by saying, it's those who do the will of God that are truly my family. Those are the ones that are truly in the kingdom with me. And so we repent and we believe the gospel that Jesus is the Christ and we begin to live according to his ways, the truth that Jesus has given us and the ways he's asked us to live. That's what it means to be an insider and not an outsider. Now, this theme of insiders and outsiders, listening and believing, it's going to continue as we, as we move into the parable of the sower. So let's look at our, our next um, uh, story here that Mark records for us about Jesus. This comes in um, Mark chapter 4, and we're going to, so it's another Mark and Sandwich, Okay. 
we're going to eat another sandwich here. Mark 4, 1 through 9 gives us the parable of the sower. And then right in the middle, we get an explanation of why Jesus talks in parables in general. Then Jesus goes back to explaining the parable of the sower to us. Okay, So we're going to walk right through those things this time. So Mark 4, 1 through 9, here's what it says. Again, he began to... Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them things, many things, in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You notice Jesus started that and ended it by saying, listen, listen, listen to what I'm saying. This is a very important parable that Jesus gives us. If you've grown up in Christianity, it's hard not to even to hear the explanation as you're reading that story. And you think, this soils this, and that soils that. But I want us to just take a look at it, just face value for a second. What, what do we see right here before we get into the explanation? This is the first time Mark has mentioned that Jesus is teaching in parables. In fact, it's kind of the first parable we get from him. And it's one of the two longest sections in Mark. So I think Mark is telling us this is really important. You really need to think about this one. And what we see here is that Jesus, or Mark is, or the parable is comparing Jesus' ministry in the world with a farmer in a field. Okay, that's the comparison being made here in the parable. The first telling of this parable is explaining Jesus' ministry. Okay, giving us that comparison that Jesus has come to the earth, he's bringing the kingdom of God, and he's sowing the word all throughout the world. Then notice, notice a few other things. Notice how the farmer is seemingly sowing the seed just indiscriminately, almost wastefully, right? Just throwing it out there and it's landing everywhere, landing on rocks, landing on ro- on the road, going in the weed patch, right? Some of it's going in the dirt. This is kind of like my farming. It's kind of farming I like. I look at those little, I got a garden at home, been trying it out for the last two years, and I look at those little seed packs, you know, and they say, oh, Put one to two seeds in this hole. And I'm like, how about like 10, right? <laughs> Just so I'm like, the more the better. And then you look at you look at how they're, you know, they say this one's got to be three foot from this plant and this. And I'm like, man, let's just do them really close together so that way we can have more of a crop, right? Indiscriminately, just throwing it out there. But but also notice notice the way here that um, the seed is being lost later and later in the progression. First seed goes down, taken away. Second seed springs up, dies. Third seed springs up, grows pretty well, and then is choked out. And only the fourth seed 
goes down and takes root. That's 25%, one in four, that takes root. Notice, And then notice the large, miraculous harvest that comes from the seeds that do grow. As we, as we, we, we begin to see here, we get a picture of, of Jesus sowing seed indiscriminately, plentifully, extravagantly throughout the whole world. But yet it will only bear fruit in a few. And yet by God's hand, we know that Christ's work will ultimately grow and be incredibly fruitful. That's what Mark is, is telling us here with Jesus' parable. And so as we, we move into the explanation of the parable in a few minutes, the question for us will be, will we, will we be the good soil? Will we allow God's word to penetrate our heart and sink down? Or will we harden ourselves as the scribes have done? Now let's, let's look at the middle of the sandwich here. This is... This is what you've all been waiting for, I'm sure. Um, let's look at verses 10 through 12 here. Here's what, here's what this story that gets inserted in the middle says. It says, and when, he, and when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret. That's the word mystery in the Greek. To you has been given the, the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parable. Parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now this is this is a hard saying by Jesus. Really hard. If the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit doesn't keep you up at night, this passage should. Okay? Jesus he, he seems to be saying that that he's speaking in parables so that some people wouldn't understand. More than that, he, he speaks to the disciples and the others gathered around that have been given understanding. They're, they're insiders. He's saying, no, you've been given understanding where there's people that are outside that haven't received that understanding. And then he, he seems to be speaking of a, a divine component to the nature of salvation, that God is granting the knowledge of the kingdom and salvation to some and not others. What are, we, what are we to make of that? Jesus furthers his point by paraphrasing Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. And if you know anything about Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 is the, the throne room theme where, where Isaiah comes into the throne room of God and he sees God's glory and majesty and he falls on his face and he says, I'm ruined. Because I'm a sinful man. And God, extending grace and mercy to him, touches his lips with a coal, stands him on his feet and says, you're forgiven. And then he says, who, God says, who will go for us? Who will go tell the world about us? And Isaiah says, I'll do it. Send me. Okay. But in the very next verses, we get what Mark records here. Send me. Here's the, here's the commission that they may indeed see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's not the normal missionary call you hear out of that passage. So this is a hard saying. I want you to go and preach the gospel so that these people's hearts would be hardened. 
And yet you know if you regularly share the gospel, it works both to harden hearts and it works to soften them. You can see it in people's lives. Jesus creates the dividing line between who is in and out. God gives understanding of the gospel to those who will hear with faith. And to those who will harden their hearts, God hides an understanding of the gospel. Those that accept and reject the gospel we see in the end corresponds exactly to God's will. Now, if that is true, what are, what are we to do? What are we to do? I think the answer is what we've been seeing. Hear the word of God and believe it. That's what Jesus is telling us. Listen, I, I mentioned earlier that nowhere in the scriptures do you see someone who, who wants to believe in God, who wants to be forgiven, and approaches God and God denies them. That doesn't happen. This passage, it, it gets at this tension between God's sovereignty and, our, and the responsibility of our will. And again and again, the, the scriptures show them working together. You are responsible for your sins. You are responsible to make a choice to follow Christ. And your decision to follow Christ or not will ultimately conform to God's will. Again, this means that we need to hear the word of God and believe. No one who comes to Christ and said, God, forgive me, will be denied. And I think Paul... I think we can look to Paul to help us out with this a little bit because this is a, this is hard. Um, turn over to Romans 11. And we'll read just a, a quick passage here. Romans 11, 28 through 33. It's talking about the Jews here and it's talking about the gospel. And, and he, Paul has been talking about how the Jews have rejected God. So here's what he says. Romans 11, 28 through 33. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, speaking of the Jews. But as regards to election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means when God came to Abraham and said, I'm making a covenant with you so that someone from your line would come and save the entire world, God did exactly that. And he's promised to, again, save all of Abraham's offspring. In verse 30, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. That means we, as non-Jews, receive mercy from God because of Israel's disobedience. I want you to see that. Then verse 31, So they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now also receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy upon all. Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Paul is telling us Israel's very disobedience was God's plan to bring salvation to you. And your salvation will be the very thing that brings salvation to Israel. And So we see these things intertwined. Jesus stands at the dividing line between those who will be saved and those who will not. Outsiders will see Jesus and hear his teachings and they will harden their hearts and they will reject him. And those that will follow Jesus will hear his word and they will take it in deep and it will bear much fruit. And so our responsibility is the same thing, that we would 
Hear and believe. If you're hearing the Word of God, then believe it. That's what God calls us to do. Now, let's look, let's look at the explanation of, of uh, the parable of the sower here in chapter four, thirteen through 20. Here's what it says. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the, road is, where the word is sown, where they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones on the rocky ground. The ones who hear the word immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a, for a little while. Then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, and immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word out, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Here we get a picture of, of the receptivity of our hearts, pictured as soil, representing people hearing the word of God. Okay? Soil one, the, 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 the path, right? Verse 15, here the word of God is, is said to be stolen away by Satan. The Bible's unapologetic that Satan is out to get us. He is our enemy. He wants to destroy your life by twisting the word of God in your soul. That's exactly what happened to Adam and Eve. God said, they, Satan told them that they could become like God and they bought the lie. If you've been thinking of following Jesus and you felt opposition in your soul to following him, to giving him your life, many times it's Satan seeking to destroy the seed of God in your heart. It's that voice that speaks in your head and says, man, the gospel, that's stupid. That's, that's logically impossible. No one came back from the dead. It's weak. Only weak people need the gospel. It's even dangerous. It's, it's why we have evil in this world. That's what Satan is doing, trying to steal the word of God out of your heart. First Peter 5.8 tells us, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting to, to seek someone to devour. The answer is to repent and believe the word of God. Take it in. Today we see this type of soil and people that hear the gospel and they just shrug it off. Nope, not taking that one. Right? Jesus is take, teaching us to make our hearts receptive to the word of God and fight for space to consider his ways. And look, at, look at the second soil, verse 16 and 17. This is, this is the rocky ground, okay? This is the, those who quickly accept the gospel, they rejoice in it, but as soon as anything comes against them and against their beliefs, what they claim about Christ, they totally abandon it. I've known people that are the rocky soil. I had a good friend who had come to Christ, and then he felt a call to be a pastor. He went to seminary, and within one year of his ministry, as the pressures of ministry and life came upon him, he renounced everything and walked away. And that, that happens more than I would like to, to acknowledge. 
Furthermore, you've seen Christians hearing, they come to Christ, they hear a message of love, and yet when they're confronted about growing in holiness, they say, no, that's not for me. I'm not going to put up with that. And they walk away from the gospel. Or you see the homeless man that you present the gospel to and he accepts it, and then as soon as you don't give him what he wants, he curses you and your God. This is the call to listen and believe and to persevere in faith. What what are the rocks in your life that are squeezing on your faith? What are those pieces of persecution and things that are coming against you blocking the reception of truth in your heart? Jesus is calling us to persevere in faith even when we face tough times in this world of fallen Christ, to hear and believe and continue to do so. Now look at soil 3 in verse 18 and 19. This is the thorny or the weedy soil. It represents those that receive the word, believe, begin to grow in their Christian life. And he, Jesus identifies these weeds as the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. I want you to know I'm terrified of being this soil. This is the one that I feel like I, I battle the most. I feel the pull of our culture to drag me off into all kind of pursuits instead of following Jesus. I've seen far more so than the friends I've seen walk away because of the rocks, many more walk away because of these things. That Christian friends cast off their marriage to live a life that they perceive as exciting through sexual fulfillment, partying, recreation, having all the toys that they want. It's those weeds coming in, buying the lie of the world. And for some of us, it's, it's not that. It's, it's far more simple. It's just we'd rather go skiing. We'd rather watch football. We'd rather just shop or do something in the yard than spend time with Jesus. And those things begin to sneak into our lives and come after us. Some of us, some of us even, it's family that does this for us. Some of us spend all our time and and get our kids spending all their time so they can become exactly what the world says they should become. And in the midst of that, we all lose our faith because we're not focusing on God and what he has called you to be as a family and where he's called your children. As God's people in America, I think we've given ourselves to far too many things. And the end of the road is a faith choked out. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to weed your garden here. I want you to I want to challenge you to drop some of the things that you're doing so that you can exchange them for a pursuit of the Lord. Fill it with something else that's pursuing God, serving God in some way so that you're growing in relationship with him. Last year I had an epic battle of weeds in my garden. The first year they overtook my garden. This is a good parable. First year I planted my garden, weeds overtook it. I got nothing. I got like one scrawny tomato. This year I was like, I'm not letting those weeds win. I was out there every week. I'm out there pulling weeds, pulling weeds, pulling weeds. This year they only got half my garden. But the half they didn't get, my tomato plants got like this high. That's what I'm asking you to do. Weed your garden. Get out there and see what what it is that's crowding in on your life, those cultural desires that we're buying into that are not of God that are squeezing out your faith. And look at the last soil here, the good soil. 
Finally, there is good soil. The good soil hears the word, it believes, and it bears fruit. Jesus is calling us to be the good soil. This is exactly how he talked about growing in God a couple weeks ago. You hear and learn the word, you put it into practice, and you even go to the point of teaching it, right? That's growing and blossoming to give fruit, to multiplying. And and hearing and believing is not a one-time act either. It's rather it's an ongoing, it's a moment-by-moment task. Your Christian life is, it's won or lost every day, every moment of your life. If you win the small battles, you win the big one. We often think that, hey, well, what are we going to do when somebody puts a gun to our head? Are we going to deny Christ or are we going to follow him? But it's one in those little moment-by-moment decisions where you say, I'm going to follow Jesus here and here and here. And when you get to that big decision, you're going to follow Jesus because that's what you do. Now, we've, we've looked at these two Markin sandwiches. Now we're going to eat a little dessert here at the end. So look at this, look at this little last parable um, that we're going to take a look at. This is 4.21 through 25. Here's what it says. And then he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Listen, Jesus didn't come to have his message hidden. That's what he's saying. Rather, he came to be manifest in the whole world, to be set out there as the light in the darkness. Yet John 3.19 tells us that people love the darkness rather than the light because of their evil works. But Jesus calls to us to come out of the darkness, come into the light. And we do that by hearing and believing his word, that any of us can be forgiven for anything you've done. In fact, verse 24 and 25 there speak to the fact that the more you let the Word of God penetrate your heart, the more understanding and faith grow up. And when you don't let that Word in, even when you deny it and you keep pushing it away, even what you have will be taken away. And so Jesus asks us, if you are hearing what He's saying, then then hear it and take it in and believe and follow Him. Band, you can come on up. Now, both of our sandwiches from Mark here, they, 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 they told us two important things. They, they asked us, are you an insider or an outsider to the kingdom of God? Are you following Jesus or are you not following Jesus? Are you standing against him or are you standing with him? And secondly, these parables teach us that to be a follower of Jesus You hear God's word, you believe it, and you do it. Repent and believe, that's been the the theme of Mark so far. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you get saved. 
If you've never been a Christian before and you hear God pulling on your heart, then don't reject the Holy Spirit, but instead listen and believe and confess Christ as Lord and find forgiveness. For those of us that have been Christians for a while, let's renew our commitment to our garden here. Let's get some of those rocks out of the way. Maybe even confess some of the weeds we've let creep in that are crowding out our faith. As we come to this last song, I would ask you to spend some time with God. Confess those things. Ask Him for help. He'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word that speaks to our hearts, God. Lord, may we be the good soil that upon hearing your word, we say, God, we want that. We want you. We want to listen and believe and follow you of our life. Lord, we know you are able to forgive all sins. Please forgive me. I repent. Help me to walk in your ways. Lord, fill us with your spirit as we go out from here. Amen.